Welcome to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. Hey folks, Chris Mosier here, content production specialist with Progress Texas with a quick extra treat for the podcast feed this holiday weekend. This last Friday, June 30th, we were invited by our friends at Unified to capture their June monthly meetup, which served as a wrap-up and update on Pride Month 2023 at Oil Can Harry's, which is arguably the most historically significant LGBTQ bar in Austin. It's always fun to be there, and we really enjoyed this talk, moderated by Unified Event Manager Madeline Morneau and featuring Pamela Williamson-Wiley of the Human Rights Campaign and Audrey Perez of the Texas Freedom Network. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. All right, hello, everybody. It's so good to see you guys here today, and a happy Pride Month. And yes, I know, big round of applause for that. There it is. So thank you so much for joining us here at Unified. We are the new social network for activism, and this is our June monthly meetup. Um, We're so excited to have you here, so feel free to grab a drink and find a seat, and we'll go ahead and get started with our Pride and Joy panel with our very special guests. Every month, Unified is featuring local organizations to deconstruct the challenges faced by community organizers and celebrate the inspiring work activists are doing in our community. My name is Madeline Morneau, and today I'm joined by a beautiful panel of people and organizers. (laughs) And um, they continue to lead with queer joy despite living in an environment that fails to protect LGBTQ rights. So, with all that being said, uh, before I let these speakers introduce themselves, I want to take a very brief but intentional moment for us all to acknowledge the reason it's so essential that we gather today as a community to celebrate our pride is because we're currently facing legislation actively attempting to silence queer voices. Rest assured, (laughs) I want everyone here to know that this is a safe space to be seen, heard, and express all the emotions evoked as a queer person or an ally living in Texas. So I'm going to need everyone to just go ahead and exhale all that negative energy and tension together, and we're gonna allow ourselves to take up this space with our pride and joy. So now, I got all that all the way. I'm gonna ask these lovely people to introduce themselves and how they identify within the queer community. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Ladri Perez. My pronouns are they, them. I am the organizing director of Texas Freedom Network, and I identify as a queer, transgender, gender-fluid person. Um, in indigenous communities, I identify as a two-spirit person, um, and sometimes I don't, I don't necessarily go out of my way to describe that to other people because there's such specific language that comes with that and the, the different tribes that you belong to. So I have been a lifelong Texan, so I identify as a lifelong Texan, a first-generation Texan, and also a first-generation immigrant, uh, because my family moved here from Mexico. And so when I am moving through queer spaces, I'm also moving through those queer spaces as a brown person, and a visibly brown person from the border. Um, And all of that, I think, combines to create a very unique form of queerness. Is that your question? Absolutely, that was amazing. <laughs> hey y'all, I'm Pamela Williamson-Wiley. I am not 
from Texas, but I've been here for 10 years, so I think I can claim it, right? Um, I actually moved here from Mississippi about 10 years ago. Uh, I use she, they pronouns. Um, I identify as queer, uh, and I always like to tell everybody I use she, they pronouns because I feel like the gender binary doesn't need to be a stopping point. You know, you're always on a journey to where you're finding yourself, and you shouldn't allow those terms and pronouns to define who you are and how you express yourself. Um, and that's really kind of it. I, I live a very privileged life because I can navigate and walk amongst people and not be called out as queer uh, because I'm a white woman in Texas. So I've been afforded a lot of different opportunities that some people, uh, including present company, have not been able to. And so I definitely acknowledge that. Thank you. Yeah, it's so important. I know I definitely resonate with what you said as a white cis woman, even though I am identify within the queer community. I do identify as bisexual, but a lot of times on that other end of the spectrum, I have to feel like almost sometimes I have to prove that to people because people assume that you're not. But luckily, we live in such an amazing community that is very accepting. And I've never had to prove my queerness to anyone who's actually a part of the queer community. What's it like trying to prove your queerness? Because I'm often being told that we're shoving our queer down people's throat. Honestly, that's such a good point. <laughs> uh, I think, I think uh, also, you know, living in Texas, you know, unfortunately we live in a state that has falsely framed homophobia, transphobia, and falsely marketed it as quote unquote traditional values a lot of times. And so there is, I know for me, a lot of, uh, unlearning that internalized homophobia that I was taught growing up in the private school system in Texas um, and that kind of niche sector of things, I definitely had a different <laughs> uh, journey. And so I know that there's a lot of deconstruction that comes with all of our journeys, like, like you guys as well. So I guess that brings me to my next question of, do you, uh, can you remember a time when you felt like you kind of had that moment of triumph where you were reflecting on your identity and truly felt pride? Uh, <laughs> I, I, here's the thing. I think that I have always felt an immense sense of pride in the fact that I came out when I was 17 years old, which I think is really remarkable. When I look at 17-year-olds now, I just want to like hold them and protect them and give them a safe space to be, and I can never imagine... Um, them coming out in a situation that was unwelcoming or unfriendly, and that is exactly what I came out into, right? But I, I feel an immense sense of pride in the bravery that I had at such a young age to define who I was for myself and to not let anybody get in the way of the life that I knew I could build for myself. Because I think fundamentally when people come out as queer or as lesbian, gay, straight, lesbian, gay, bi, trans, um, I think that when we come out as something other than like a heteronormative cisgender expected society or norm or role for yourself, you are pushing beyond the boundaries of what we've been taught to say that what you want is something greater than the life that has been provided to you and or the the options that have been presented to you it's like a dreaming it's an imagining it's this like relentless optimism for a world better than your present reality and i think queer people in like all stages embody that and i you know i feel very proud to be part of that community i think for me it comes in some of the smaller things uh 
like when I'm talking to my wife and when we first got together, she wouldn't correct people when they said, oh, you know, uh, how long have you and your husband been married? She would just go on with the answer um, because she was almost too embarrassed to correct them. Not embarrassed of our relationship, but didn't know, didn't want to put somebody else on the spot because of the position that they had been in. And now she shares pictures of us and talks about us, you know, to everybody she meets. And this is coming from a woman that used to try to pray her own gay away when she was a young girl and say things like, I just, if I could just not have this crush on this person, I, please give me the strength not to because I don't want to disappoint my parents. Um, and to now be fully like embracing the life that we live and also being a strong role model and example for our children. And when my daughter will come up and correct somebody for misgendering someone or even gendering them at all, and she's four, I'm like, that gives me a lot of hope. She's like, well, if they don't know who they are, they just need to say they. Just like, I could be a they, but I'm a girl. And I'm like, exactly. So it is, it's those little things in life where you're like, you know, if I'm living my truth, people are going to pick up on that. And I know I am because my kid's picking up on that. So that's really kind of it there. I think it's always so interesting how kids are so matter of fact and accepting when you talk about queerness at such an early age. I feel like a lot of people kind of say, oh, you need to wait till they're older. You know, it's, you know, unfortunately we're living in time with even legislations being passed, but books are being banned with, with queer characters and they're talking about how we're quote unquote grooming children with drag shows when in reality we're just trying to create those safer spaces for for queer youth so they can feel that pride and feel that that safe space what we're doing is we're helping them open the doors and we're opening up those windows that they couldn't reach yet you know and it is so practical to think about it in terms like you know, they have been conditioned to think in certain ways because that's what we're doing to our children. We're teaching them certain things. We're, you know, we're asking them to emulate certain activities. And really at the end of the day, it's just exposing them to something that maybe they never thought was possible because they don't see the representation on TV. And for fuck's sake, it's not that we're sexualizing our children. It's that people are worried that we're homosexualizing our children. And that's really it at the end of the day. Do you think you were gay when you were a kid? Right, right. Yeah. I just sorry, just some question, right? Like we all knew we were gay right. when we, I mean, not, maybe not all of us, right? Maybe it took some of us longer. And I think there's a lot of validity to everybody's different journey in that. But I knew I was queer when I was 13 years old, and I knew it because I was pulled into the principal's office and told that I was hugging my friends too much, <laughs> and that it was uh, uncatholic to be a lesbian. Uh, and so I should hug my friends less. And there's a lot of irony in that because I introduce myself as like the best hugger in Texas now. I love hugs. I'm a great hugger. Apparently I've been this way since I was 13 years old. But I learned that being gay was bad because I was hugging my friends too much. And then I was like, oh, I might act, you might have some truth to that. But like now I feel a lot of shame about it instead of it being something perfectly valid and normal, we are causing trauma to people because we live in a traumatized society, to quote James Baldwin. You absolutely hit it right on the head. Um, I do wanna bring up 
there are a lot of things that you guys have been doing to create those safe spaces for queer youth or just queer people in general. So let's talk about some of the good things that have been going on and the work that we've been doing. So um, what are some of the legislation um, that you guys are excited about that's been proposed? Like I know the uh, Human Rights Campaign uh, proposed the Equality Act. Um, if you guys could talk a little bit about that and share uh, some details with our audience. So the Equality Act is back on, is back on the table. Uh, we're pushing for it because it's not symbolic anymore. We actually need explicit protections for people regardless, and we have to have the language of gender, gender identity, non-conforming, non-binary, you know, all of it. You know, we need to update the Title IX protections that were brought into the picture back in the 60s because without it, we don't really have a leg to stand on. You know, if somebody says to you, just like today, you know, with some of the Supreme Court decisions, um, if somebody is to discriminate against you based off of any of these things, you have a case to be brought, you know, for federal protection. So now more than ever, we need to do this. We need to get it passed. You need to talk to everybody. You need to call everybody. You need to write it on your car because we know not getting rain for, you know, what, at least six more months, it'll be there. So people can read it. <laughs> but it really is important to make sure that it's not just, oh, it'll pass, it'll pass, or there's really not a whole lot I can do personally. Yes, there is. People can make noise collectively and be loud as hell. And also, we can celebrate collectively as a form of activism and joy, and that just pisses them off more and more, which is why every pride needs to get bigger and louder and more joyful, because that right there is one of the biggest forms of activism. Um, so I, uh, today sucks. <laughs> uh, today sucks for everyone who's gay and has student debt, student loan debt. Um, so Merry Christmas to all the gays with 10,000 more dollars in debt. Um, or $20,000 in my case. I, were this a good legislation? There was 142 good bills filed at the Texas legislature, which is more proactive bills than are filed in other states, which is really incredible. Like we take steps to file more good bills here in Texas that may not pass, but are already there and are written for the day that there is an opportunity for them to pass in this state. And some of the bills that we've been working on is making sure that schools have access to mental health resources um, like the Trevor Project and LGBTQ specific sites that cater to populations that right now are even more in a mental health crisis than the general population. Um, another bill that I have also worked on is one that would make it easier for people to update and change their name and gender markers here in the state of Texas um, to increase access to health outcomes. Um, I've also worked on a study to prove that when people change their name and their gender markers, they have greater access across the board to safety in every realm of their lives. Um, so, the, I mean, those two bills, obviously, selfishly, I'm interested in the bills that I've written myself. Um, but things like the Equality Act are also just like a really good opportunity to talk to people about the progress that can be made right now for the LGBTQ community. Losing isn't inevitable. Our demise is not inevitable. They are coming after all of our rights, as proven today, not just trans people. 
and trans people have been fighting for queer people since 1979. And so it's time that we all join forces together instead of trying to chop part of the community up because that makes us less strong against people who eventually want to see all of our demise. And we can band together to talk just about the basic goddamn safety and dignity and kindness and love that every person deserves. Absolutely, yes, applause for that. Here at the halfway point, a quick note of thanks for listening to the Progress Texas Happy Hour podcast. We're proud to say you've helped us build our podcast into one of the top 10% of the most widely heard podcasts in the world. Kind of mind-blowing, but true, and one of the top progressive political podcasts here in Texas. We couldn't have done all of this without you listening and sharing episodes, so thank you for that. We believe that information is power. Our podcast features insider analysis with a lighthearted take on major issues, events, and players in Texas politics. We've interviewed elected officials, foreign policy experts, activists, and candidates in a panel format that brings gender and ethnic diversity and always seeks to give listeners a reason to keep coming back for more. After we wrap today, please help us keep our podcast ad-free and accessible to all listeners with a donation at ProgressTexas.org. Find the link in the show notes. You've clearly definitely had your hands full, both of you. You've been working very hard. And I will say, Audrey, you were actually recognized recently for all that hard work and were named in the Best of Austin, Austin Chronicles, the hardest working harbinger of queer progress. <laughs> How does that name resonate with you? Um, it's the coolest name for an award that I've ever gotten, I'm gonna be <laughs> honest. Um, I got the hardest working gay award, which is cool. Um, I'm gonna put that on my resume forever <laughs> until I die. It's so exciting. It's framed in my house. It's framed in my partner's mom's house. We are be. gonna put it everywhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're very proud of me. But it, you know, I gotta be honest with you, being like on the cover of a paper after something really traumatic happens to you, and it like mentions the really traumatic thing that happened to you, is pretty hard and uh, pretty difficult and pretty unexpected. And I think there's something to be said about how, as a society, we don't really know how to care for people that have been victims of police brutality or of police violence or of our incarceration system, because every single step of that is meant to be extremely dehumanizing and extremely traumatic to the point that it creates a situation where you don't want to be very public, right? And so when we handle these things, I just want to mention that we need to we need to really care for people who have been victims of police brutality. I hope I am the last, I hope that I am the first and the last person to be treated like that in the Capitol, but I know that that is probably not true, right? And so when this happens again, how do we make sure to center what that person who is a victim of these things wants in the situation? And how do we make sure that we center caring for that person in the long term as a community? And also like just getting really fucking like real about how horrible it was that that happened. Like point blank, because no one should be treated that way. And that that is how they treated trans people of color at the Capitol that day, because they actually, they chaperoned like two other people away earlier that day that I didn't get to see personally. And then they tackled me to the ground, right? And that's not normal. <laughs> That is like very much a symptom of living in a very violent and fascist police state. And um, when things like that happen, yes, send me all your thoughts and prayers. I appreciate. Don't send me tiff streets. I hate cookies. But like also complain to like the government about how fucked up it was, you know? Like who is 
being like, who is saying the complaints beyond me that this is not how people should be treated? Anyway, I'm going to probably do something about that soon that you can yes. chime in on. But Absolutely. I, I, for those of you uh, who want a little more context or who maybe weren't there, um, this was on May 2nd when we were all at the Capitol together protesting um, the attempted passage of SB 14, which was the ban on, right, for the third, fourth, fifth, whatever time. <laughs> Mary Gonzalez. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so we were there to try and block uh, the healthcare ban from being passed. And unfortunately, um, it was signed into, uh, into law in Texas. Governor Abbott did sign the ban. Um, so there's actually been a huge mass exodus of queer youth in Texas, which is something that um, I don't think enough people are really talking about, um, are really recognizing how many families are being displaced by this legislation. Um, and I was just curious about what your thoughts were on the, on the ban and how it's been affecting our community. I'm gonna to defer to you because you're, you know, a member of this community, and it affects you the hardest. I, you don't trans people in your life, too. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there have been people leaving since 2021. There have been people who have had plans to leave since January of this year, and they said, if this ban passes, well, we're gonna leave in May before it goes into effect, right? There are people who had no intentions of leaving that are now leaving the state. And then there are the families of at least 29,000 other trans kids in this state who cannot afford to leave. There are the families of trans kids who don't necessarily affirm or accept their kids. And we are creating an environment that is extremely hostile to them. Um, there are a lot of people whose safety is endangered by bills like this and by rhetoric like this, including adults in Cedar Park. Um, yes. I, I don't know if she was an adult, actually. She was 24, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, everybody younger than me is a baby. Um, <laughs> that must be protected. So I, you know, I, and there was somebody who was murdered last year, right, in a similar situation around this time. Um, it creates, Texas is the most deadly state for trans women in the country. Um, and it has been year after year. And so for people to leave, to center themselves and their own happiness makes a lot of sense. It does not mean that we give up on fighting for Texas. It does not mean that we give up on people here or on fighting for things like the Equality Act across the country. The fight must continue, but if people need to take care of their individual safety, I, I support you and I'm here for you. But it is extremely sad that that is the state that we have created here in Texas. Um, it is a huge economic stressor. It forces people to lose their communities and their homes. Um, People are going through a lot right now, and the people who are staying are also extremely emotionally affected. Um, and it's gonna take a long time, I think, to recover from this legislative session and from what we're facing right now. And I you know, encourage everybody to just be a little bit more kind and loving in their day-to-day -day interactions with people because you never know what somebody's going through or what they're carrying on their shoulders. and. I think that that philosophy also can help us create a world where we're less concerned about our differences between us and more concerned about creating a world where we can all survive and thrive in our communities and feel safe in our homes and in our queer bars. Absolutely. I 
Very well said. I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, I, I know that you mentioned the mental health effects that you know young people have been struggling with, as well as adults. I mean, obviously, I know we've all been struggling throughout the legislative session with anxiety and burnout and all those other things. <laughs> um, but you know, I thought it was interesting to see the statistics the Trevor Project put out on uh, trans youth and how they were affected by the legislative session yeah. because a lot of people don't bring children into the conversation that often because they're not 18 or they're not voting or they're, you know, which there's, w there's plenty of kids that are organizing and doing the work that way more so than <laughs> uh, a lot of other adults. But it says that like 80% of kids are negatively affected by the legislative uh, session that was that just happened, it's eighty percent of kids say that their mental health is affected by the government. You know what's fucked up? That's their intention. Like, yeah. that's not like a side effect consequence. That's what they're trying to do. Um, and I think that I just realized that as you're reading that number, that's the highest that number has ever been since I've been doing this work. Um, and that is, that's a crisis. That's an actual human rights crisis that pisses me off so bad because kids, one, deserve better across the board because kids are human beings that deserve some level of autonomy within like their safety, right? And I think that we don't treat kids like human beings enough. And also, um, God, I lost the train of thought because I'm just so mad. <laughs> I understand. Have anything you want to add? <laughs> So I think what's important to also acknowledge is that, one, the number one cause of death here in Texas was gun violence Guns. for kids. And now we have just added, um, on top of suicidal ideation, we've increased that number. And so we are killing children in Texas. We are, not we, collective we, they are killing our kids in Texas by one, not letting them grow and flourish as the beautiful being that they were created to be, and two, if they do end up making it close to being that beautiful being, well, there's other ways that they're gonna, you know, meet their maker, so to speak. And it's sad and it's morbid and it's disgusting, but the fact that we, we are so focused on how somebody presents themselves on the, you know, gender binary, you're right, it's just maddening to where you almost can't breathe or speak or talk about it without wanting to scream, yell, cry, throw up, whatever it is that you wanna do. It just never ends and I don't live that experience every day, but I've seen how it has affected everybody that I know to the fact that we had how many less parents and advocates show up this legislative session because they were calling child protective services on people for allowing their children to present as their, you know, their, cho their sorry, their gender identity. And they couldn't show up and speak because they were so afraid of the repercussions of getting, you know, the authorities sent to their house and then their children taken away. So they're silencing us. And this is the point when, if those voices are silenced, we need our allies and we need those that aren't necessarily gonna be on the chopping block to step the fuck up and speak out for those that can't. It's, it's so important that we talk about allyship. I know a lot of people 
feel like they can't make a, that big of a difference if they don't feel like they're necessarily a part of the of a community. But allies are a part of our community. You don't have to be gay or lesbian or trans or anything to be a part of the LGBTQIA community. You can be an ally, and you're still you're still with us. And I think. I know for me, if I can share a quick vulnerable moment of story of my life, is when I realized how important allyship was, was because uh, my sister recently came out as a transgender this past year, and I love her more, more than anything. And when she told me she didn't want to come out initially because, well, she said, I live in Texas, what's the point? And you know that, that breaks my heart. And then she also was saying like, well, even if I want to get uh, treatment or anything done, I don't feel like I can get it here. So I feel like, what's the point of fighting? And I it was in that moment where I realized how important that my allyship was to her and being able to get her access to what she needed and be able to educate my parents on the importance of a gender uh, affirming uh, healthcare plan and the gravity of that, because if I didn't do it, nobody else would. So that's why allies are so important, especially when we're talking about trans youth, because they're not able to vote yet. You can't vote unless you're 18. And so that's kind of what's always in the back of my mind when, um, you know, even just local elections or primaries is, who are you voting for? You know, not, not, not a candidate, not, not a party. Who are you voting for? Who is the person that you are helping speak out for? Whose voices are you amplifying? Are they for the good of the community or is it for the privileged? All right, I'm off my soapbox now. <laughs> um, well, with that, I guess I want to um, ask just a couple more questions before uh, we uh, wrap all this up. Um, if someone's wanting to get involved with your organizations and learn how to help the queer community or you know, give back um, and support spaces, what are some ways that people can do that? Uh, my organization is great if you want to learn more about how government works in Texas, um, whether it's at the Capitol, the State Board of Education, or local city councils. Um, we work on very small levels to help explain and deconstruct how things work for people. Um, we make guides. We made a guide on how to drop a card at the Capitol that helped get 9,000 people there this session just to drop cards on LGBTQ legislation, both good and bad. Um, whereas we had never seen numbers like that before, and so I'm particularly proud of that. Um, I just want to say that HRC is also a great organization if you want to turn into a super volunteer so quickly. They will recruit you and turn you into a master so fast. Yes, they absolutely do. It is a pyramid scheme. We're here to recruit you and then 10 of your friends, and that's how it works. Uh, Yes, absolutely. HRC, we try to offer support at a national level, but we have representation locally. And really, it is to elevate our local community leaders and coalitions. We want to make sure, because they're the ones that are in the depths and the bowels of it, the ins and outs, knowing what's going on day to day and how we can assist and help elevate. Um, you know, and it, it does put us in a very nice position to be able to build platforms if you need platforms built or sound the alarm when y'all need, you know, national help or assistance. It, it is, you know, really nice, but hrc.org is the easiest way to go to. We have where right now one of our biggest efforts that we're making is trying to help in aid people that are wanting to leave the state. 
So we're offering grants and opportunities and legal help and moving expenses, reimbursement, just to try to assist in any way we can. And, you know, mental health care and anything, any other resource that we have to give, we try to find it and give it. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so Oh. What does someone need to get money from HRC to move from the state? Come and talk to me, and I'm going to hook you up with the link. (laughs) That's all. (laughs) Well, I want to say thank you guys so much for being here today with us and sharing your work and your words of encouragement to everybody. I know this gave me a much-needed boost, and I think this is a great way to, to cap off Pride Month. So I also want to make sure we say thank you to Oil Can Harry's uh, for providing us with this amazing space. And thank you all so much for coming here. If you would like to learn how to continue connecting with your communities online, you can visit www.joinunified.us or you can find us on Instagram at joinunified underscore US. And we hope to see you guys um, at our next meetup. Thank you so much and have a great night. Progress Texas Happy Hour is a production of Progress Texas, a rapid response media organization promoting progressive messages and actions. Find us online at progresstexas.org and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. The podcast is produced by me, Chris Mosier, and our featured music is by Walker Lukens. Please be sure and subscribe to the Progress Texas Happy Hour on the podcast platform of your choice. Take a moment to leave us a review if you've enjoyed the show and be sure and tell your friends about us. Thanks for listening and for all you do to press progress forward here in the Lone Star State. We'll see you again next week.